The guard, for hundreds of years, has stood watch over the gate atop the great mountain with no family or friends or possessions apart from his armor and spear. His only purpose in life is to protect the gate. Numerous warriors have come to challenge the guard, yet none have succeeded. Far below the gate in the shadows of the great mountain lies a village built by the master teacher for young warriors who train every day in the hopes of one day challenging the guard to take his place as protector of the gate. This is their destiny and sole endeavor as people of the sacred village. One day, the guard sees them approaching. The first one is young, and with swift agility encircles him with a flurry of attacks. too quick to overtake him. In a smooth gesture with his weapon, he takes this one's life. The next warrior, powerful and strong, steps up for a chance to strike him down. One's blows land mightily on his body, but do not overwhelm him. With cunning speed that eclipses the strength of the second warrior, he kills him. and final young warrior has both strength and speed that seem equal to his own. Only the guard's experience allows him to anticipate and counter each move. In a fleeting movement, he takes a step back and smiles ever so slightly with the realization that this one is far superior to any he has fought before. A brooding darkness descends upon the guard, eyes change to a deep red hue, the color of spilled blood. He engages this last warrior with a lethal fury. can see that, for an instant, the warrior fears demise. But suddenly, this young one is bolstered with a new wave of power, eyes turning red, just like his own. Together, they are entangled in the fiercest battle. Quick assertive footwork shovels the rough gravel of the earth aside. Flames of bright metal light up the air in a blur. Seeing this 
force unmatched by any of his previous opponents, the guard considers in the deep recesses of his mind this. His life has long been filled with solitude, combat, and death, for the singular ambition and sacred destiny to guard the great gate with his life. But perhaps this young warrior is worthy to take his place so he can be free from this world. A rapid succession of moves and counter moves has turned his mind to complete focus to deflect the warrior's charge. He musters all his energy so he can wield a final deadly blow. Just as the guard maneuvers to thrust his spear and end his life, he allows the warrior's sword a clear path that pierces his breastplate through his heart. And then with a jolt, eyes fly open. It was just a dream. The guard awakens to the menacing eeriness of that treacherous mountain which stands behind him where the gate remains under his protection. Hiding just outside the village from behind the shadows of the ancient trees, he sees them. Young warriors, guided by the master teacher, are preparing for combat. Someday, one of them will prove worthy of taking his place to become the guard. He starts his ascent back to the top of the mountain, where he will wait. The day when a warrior defeats him means death, and he will be free. Hello and welcome to the Bad Music Hurts podcast, the show where my siblings and I chat about our favorite records. This is episode 9, and we are talking about Kamasi Washington's 2015 three-disc record, The Epic. Holy moly. Hi, Michael. Hey, Mark. Yeah, three discs. This is no joke. (laughs) Three full hours, almost three full hours of epic jazz. It is a monster. It is astounding, the breadth of musical styles and improvisational styles and just music and tone and everything that is explored in this record is astounding. Honestly, it earns the name epic. It truly does. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it, that's kind of the opening challenge that Kamasi poses the the listeners. By calling this the epic, he's almost challenging the listener to be like, I'm going to prove it to you. And uh, I mean, he, he lives up to it. I mean, Heck, you just look at the album art, for gosh sake. It's this black and white constellation kind of space background. And it's just Kamasi standing there just holding this tenor saxophone, being like, you see this sax? We'll rock <laughs> your freaking ears off with it. He's just like got this look of like confidence and like pride. He's just like staring and looking down at the audience like it's you just see that and you're like it just catches your eye you're like what is this like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the presentation of the album as a whole is fantastic the album art as you said is a strong solid force oh yeah you know what you're getting into by looking at that cover and um uh, in the record itself that one of the uh inserts is a uh uh, artistic depiction of the guard from the uh the story and oh that's he cool. looks like this like just completely souped up beefy samurai 
in front of this like almost great dam sized gate in the back of in the distance it's it's absolutely and it's so cool it looks like a black and white photograph almost it's it's truly fascinating it'll be in the show notes for uh, listeners to take a look at as well but it's uh oh boy it's something else on the other side you actually see like a close-up of the guards you know face as well and the thing looks battered like old you know leather wallets like he's got like scars everywhere and <laughs> the eyes that have seen too much it's just the, the the packaging and art for the album is so great it's so great oh yeah and i mean it's just kind of shocking that this is um this is his debut album i mean this is his first solo release and it's this three hour jazz extravaganza that kind of crosses and takes from different genres. And I mean, it's, it's, it's bold. It's very, very bold. Yeah. And I was familiar with Kamazi Washington, not by name, but through sound, through, uh, Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly and Flying Lotus's You're Dead. Both records I love and I was familiar with leading up to this. And I had no idea that, you know, looking back now, like, holy crap, he was there and he has like uh, writing credits for, you know, a good chunk of the songs on these records, doing the uh, strings and uh, horn uh, arrangements for pieces on the rec- those records. So he's he's mm-hmm. been around and... I mean, both of those are like rock star albums, like they're, they're top of most people's like album of the year uh, charts. So he he's been around and then... Yeah, you're right, to come out with his own solo record and to have it be this sprawling artistic statement is just absolutely fascinating. Oh, yeah, and he goes all in. Like, I was doing some kind of reading before this, just because I was interested like in learning a little bit more about this, and it's, I mean, just the size and dedication to this is huge. It's a 10-piece jazz band backed by a 32-piece orchestra and a 20-person <laughs> choir. Dear Lord, like, it's... It's a regular old production. It's, like, I mean, they go all out. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. And, I mean, he's... I mean, it, it pays off. It really does pay off. I mean, this... I was reading this one, uh, like, one album of the year for, like, what was it? The Gills Patterson Worldwide Album of the Year. Um... And what was it? The was it the inaugural American Music Prize as well? So I mean, this, I mean, it's it, it, his work is recognized for sure, and it's it's decorated for. I mean, he he went all in. He had no restraint. He just no. just, just put it all in there. And what I think is kind of great is that each. It, it works to have something of this size for jazz because jazz is kind of predicated on kind of having little solo virtuoso kind of moments, right? Where you kind of have, oh, now, now the, the bassist is going to do something. Now the keyboardist is going to do something. And with a three hour medium, what makes it just amazing is you have so much time to work with that you really can let things breathe and you can make each one of these 10, 32, 20 person, like each one of those gets almost like a chance to shine in this. Oh yeah. And to uh, expand on what you're talking about with dedication, I I was kind of curious what the recording of this album was like. And I found an interview that uh, Kamasi did with uh, NPR where he mentioned that the whole month, the whole month of December, 2011, he and the band were going to sit down 
and just record everyone's music. That's all they were going to do. And apparently they were doing this for like 10 a.m. in the morning to 2 a.m. in the morning. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so all day, you know, save for eight hours sleep, they were recording music nonstop. And apparently at the end of this blazing fast recording and intense recording session, uh, they came out with eight albums worth of music, 190 <laughs> songs, two terabytes of music. Oh my and, God. And Kamazi of this mentions, I personally walked away with about 45 songs, you know, n- not too much, just a smattering of songs, nothing, nothing too serious. So holy moly, that is insane. And, um, yeah, apparently when, uh, he went to talk to, Flying Lotus's label, Brain Feeder, to clarify, Brain Feeder is the record label that this was released under, so that's kind of a fun uh, connection there. Oh, he helped, you know, write the horn and uh, string instrumentals for parts of Flying Lotus's You're Dead, and here, Flying Lotus is coming in with his, uh, his record label, being the one to help release his debut record. I thought that was pretty cool, but apparently when Flying Lotus approached Kamazi, he's like, okay, so what's going to be in the album? Kamazi's like, uh, everything? <laughs> and Flying Lotus is like, I, I, I knew you are going to say I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so, it was just a really fun story hearing just the sheer amount of material that came out of this legendary recording session in December 2011. So, um, yeah, dedication is right. <laughs> It makes me really wonder, like, how much of these recordings was truly improvised versus kind of planned out. I Like, it really makes me wonder, like, how much, if we were to see this live, how much, like, freedom they would take with this and how much of this was truly, like, just a magic of the moment. You're in there and it's the midnight of the 12th day or whatever and you're just you you just hit a groove and you just keep the recording going like it really just makes me wonder like how much of this it is uh how much of that is sprinkled throughout this album yeah i mean everyone here everyone in this band are like legendary musicians in their own right and writers in their own right so it honestly i don't think we can really say for certain uh without like some clear definitive yes or no's from kamazi or other members in the band um, but at least for me, I feel that there's some songs, particularly in the, uh, the first disc where it feel, it feels that like the core of the song is a melody and then it's got a smattering, some sprinkling of solos to help accentuate it and fill it out. Whereas some of them, it feels like the core of the song is the improvisations and the kind of filling out the the rest is, you know, little melodies to kind of tie it all cohesively together. So it, it feels like it there the writing is there, but depending on the song, you know, song by song, it sometimes is larger focus than it is other times. Yeah, and I think that probably is reflected with some of the the, the song lengths. I mean, in addition to being three hours long as a bulk, I mean, there's some songs that run upwards of 14, 14 minutes on here. So, um it definitely i mean they they take their time and they um they let everyone have their chance i wonder yeah it probably was where they just let during those solo moments they just kind of let people just take it and run with it um and really kind of have some fun with it and without like arbitrary time constraints of like oh you need to be hitting three and a half to 
four and a half minutes, right? So it's been a lot of years since we both actually first discovered and listened to this record. And I'm curious, what do you remember what your initial thoughts were when you first gave this thing a listen? Um, yeah, I remember like this was kind of one of the first like I'm gonna sit down and listen to jazz kind of music. I mean, like I had listened to jazz before with like I mean we have some select Christmas songs in our like shared Christmas album that are jazz and I had some like Frank Sinatra stuff, but like this was like the first time I was like, okay, I'm sitting down like legitimately with dedication listening to a full jazz album. So um, I guess my first reaction to it was a bit of, oh, there's like almost no lyrics in this. That was kind of a shock to me initially. And then it was also just kind of those things where like, I found it hard to just like sit and listen to just because it is just a lot. (laughs) Um, Three hours, three hours. uh, Yes. So what I ended up doing was I ended up using it and found it as a extremely useful tool when I was still at school. So like we discovered this when I was still like a sophomore in college. And so I listened to this during a couple of like later nights and it was the perfect get done music because it was a three hour block, not a whole lot of lyrics and you could just get into a groove and some of this like music, it just would get me like, it like just get me motivated and gets you amped. It just like it, it, it but it, with the duration of the album, it also has a really great dynamic range. So you go through these moments where it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, like get shit done. And then it's like, <laughs> then it goes down. You're like, oh, okay, time to breathe, time to breathe. And like the way I kind of describe it, it, it almost in some respects, it, it can almost make you a little bit like anxious some of these songs like the tempo and pace that they run and like how intense they can get um and that and i do really it makes me really appreciate then um the really kind of like more slow melodic kind of like smooth songs because it lets everything breathe and it's like an intermission almost in between like these these peaks of just extreme instrumentation so i guess that was kind of my first impressions of it was like oh this is like a really great tool initially that was just kind of like what i kind of viewed it as it was like a very um kind of like uh, i guess for any fellow listeners that listen to uh hello internet kind of like cpg gray i guess describes his appreciation of music oh, oh it's like a tool to get like to facilitate getting stuff done that's kind of how i kind of was approaching this a little bit of like hey it helped me stay motivated and keep kept me like focused for a three hour chunk of time. Um, but because I started using that as a tool, I really started now gaining a little bit more appreciation for certain moments where it's like, I, I was always looking forward to getting back to those certain like instrumental moments. Those kind of hooked me in. And now I start, and now I kind of seek this out as an enjoyable listen. I don't necessarily need to be doing this or that to keep me, entertain with this i also like it for car rides and stuff like that so it's those were kind of my i guess kind of first impressions and kind of um where i stand with the album now i loved it the minute that i heard it and then i was sold and immediately bought the record on the go when the choir first came (laughs) (laughs) like it's a great jazz record but then when that choir comes in you're like oh boy (laughs) God got some like gospel choir going on here. Yeah. Gotta gotta get gotta seal the deal on this. Mm-hmm. It's it's intense. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying not to reuse this word while describing this record, but it is epic. Just the sheer scope of 
the instrumentation and the length and the presentation, just the whole package, it's it's monstrous. So I, I guess there's no other way for us to actually go through this than to kind of go song by song, unless you have some things you want to lead with first. No, I guess I guess to kind of go off off that, like that's one thing, like generally where I stand with this album is that like it really during the evolution where I t- it turned from like oh this is just something for me get shit done to versus oh this is like really interesting is that like it really ch- kind of changed my perspective on jazz because I always kind of view jazz as like oh I really like certain select Christmas songs that are jazz and like regular jazz. I more or less kind of viewed it as like, okay, there's smooth jazz, which I like, but like the intermediate jazz I found could be kind of, it it was very easy for me to view it as stale and just kind of like uninteresting at times where it's like, it follows, I know it's kind of funny because it's meant to be very unformulaic, but because of that, they end up kind of falling into a formula I kind of picked up on where it's like, oh, we're going to do this and we're all doing this. And then, oh, now we're just this one Joe guy that's just doing his thing and as he's not really doing anything interesting he's just doing his thing it's like that that's the type of jazz where i was like i just kind of lose interest over time where it's just it's very predictable that you do this okay now it's this guy's turn now you do this now it's this guy's turn it's just it just wasn't very interesting and this album definitely showed me like no this can be definitely full of passion and just total energy and it's like you really you don't get a sense of like what I've been kind of describing as that formula really in this. I mean, if you really look closely and you listen to this album a lot, you can kind of pick up a little bit where they do it. But um, I mean, with the time scales you're looking at here, it's like the songs go anywhere and anywhere. Kind of like how some Lord Huron songs, like you truly have no idea where you're going when you step into it. And that's what's just so fun. I mean, some of the songs that start out slower show you that, nope, this we're going to go for dynamic range here. And then they just escalate. And it's like you had no idea you were headed there. Um, and I, I don't know. That's just kind of, I guess, the last of, uh, I guess, an opening statement I want to pin in there, I guess, before we get going into the actual songs. Yeah, that's ac- it's an excellent point about the variety of the songs here. Not just from song to song, which there absolutely is, but inner song. There's a lot of different movements and parts that can surprise you and delight you. The first one that comes to my mind, um, looking right at right now, is the opening track, Change of the Guard. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ending of the song, like, the whole song itself has different solos that bring a whole different kind of flavor to it. And while they're still following, yes, the solo formula of you have a set number of measures that you're going to improv over and then you're gonna pass it over to someone else and you're gonna all kind of stay in the same key it's a pretty standard stuff once you kind of see the tracks there but at the end of the song they have this beautiful like ethereal spacey bit at the end it feels like you're staring up at a starry cold night and uh you can almost picture the guard waking up from his dream at that moment and mm-hmm. th- that those sort of moments aren't in typical jazz records and i'm not saying every jazz record you know doesn't have this that's not true but it's unusual to see regular songwriting bits kind of at the end of songs like this or little movements that catch you off guard like a later song during one of the improv pieces uh the organ is playing and the rest of the backing instrumentation just goes away like everyone else stops and for a minute there it's just 
the Oregon guy buttering up his skis, and it's <laughs> it, it, it's yep. a really nice. There's a lot of variety here that keeps you interested. Oh yeah, I mean, if to, like you're saying, kind of like the ending, how it kind of turns into that like. It's like an electronic, um, for lack of a better word, electronic hoo-ha. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's like, what, did Ludo step in? Like, <laughs> Where's the Moog? Where's the Moog? It's like Tim Convey in the corner of the Moog. Um, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but the way I kind of describe it, some of these songs, like, um, it, I just kind of, in my head, kind of picture, I'm like, and fade to fade to black and show the CU space cowboy title on title screen like some of these because uh for listeners who may not know Cow- the cowboy bebop is a popular anime show and a very kind of has a lot of jazz influence in it and a lot of it kind of ends usually with um a good musical accompaniment and then they have a title screen showing up with CU space cowboy and i see a connection here a little bit with kind of the 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 smooth kind of endings to some of these songs. So I guess stepping more into it with uh Change of the Guard, I kinda wanna like step more into this in kind of uh discussing this. I, I can, can we talk about how Kamasi works this saxophone? Cause I wanna I wanna delve into this because I have never heard someone go all out like this on a saxophone before. Um and let me back up here. So a couple of weekends or actually several weekends ago, I was traveling in a car with some friends and one of these songs came up and I guess it can be polarizing because they were like, what is this guy doing? Like they, they just like didn't get it and it just did not click for them. But I'm here, even though they're not here to kind of try to sell it, I guess, for those who may feel that way. Um, so I guess to kind of describe this is uh, Kamasi really kind of plays the saxophone in it kind of builds up to it and uses the crescendo a lot where he kind of builds up and builds up intensity of the saxophone in a lot of these parts um, say at that like the 745 timestamp on this where it builds up to a certain point where he almost like breaks down and it's almost like you it's like an extreme strenuous playing of the saxophone where you kind of almost get a sense that it's it's no longer the saxophone it's like kamasi like airing like the deepest frustration griefs and pains like he it's just like the inner soul screaming out of the saxophone It almost sounds painful. Like, it sounds like it's physically hurting him. Yes, exactly. And, like, in my opinion, this is kind of... I've only heard this done one other place, and it's in Fleet Fox's um, The Shrine in an Argument, where they do it, albeit in a, a really different kind of musical context and genre, but, I mean, they kind of do something similar where they almost play the saxophone really, I guess, um, for lack of a better word, kind of poorly, I guess you could say, where it's almost like disorienting and like stressful and it really kind of conveys at least for that song an emotional breaking and kind of rock bottom but Kamasi takes it more to like 
painful like scream and like crying out when i first listened to this i got chills during some of these moments where it just would get really into it and really kind of like push this instrument and you're like is this brass gonna break <laughs> like, like yeah i can literally feel like he's pushing up against the boundaries of not only his saxophone but like music itself like oh is this still count as music i think so but it it hurts but it's so good it's it's crazy (laughs) it's crazy how he uses repetition and as you're you're right it just builds and builds and builds and builds this repetitive measure or these these notes or even just maybe sometimes a single note but it's almost like he's acting with his saxophone. It's not just playing the note. There's so much more there. And I think that's what I find so interesting is he does so much with so little. And I mean that in the best way possible. And then like, you know, when you get to that crescendo at some parts in these songs here, it's like the notes don't even fully hit. They don't get fully expressed in that frustration and that explosion. And it's just, it just needs to be heard to be believed it's it's a style i haven't heard before uh other than you're right on uh, the fleet foxes record albeit yeah as you said in a different style yeah and it's what's really interesting is that like i get the sense after listening to this i'm like i don't think if another player were to do this it would be the same i don't know if there's a way to describe it but it just he i get a feeling that it's very much him it's not Something I think would be, that would be very easy for someone to replicate doing this. You get a sense that he's much more, I guess, better connected with his instrument. Like you're saying, you just get the sense that he's just like, yeah, he's pushing. He's like, all right, I want to push you. I want to push it. Like, <laughs> like, oh, it's just, it's, it's very interesting. Like that is, um, I guess, kind of a recurring theme through many of these songs too. Is that crescendo on a, like you're saying a couple of these measures where it just builds and builds and builds and builds and then it just breaks down and it's just. Oh, it's awesome. It it truly is a great way to kick things off because it, I mean, you kick things off with this 12 minute song and you're like, you're, you know exactly kind of what you're getting into then with this, with this beginning. Um, it, it, It definitely sets the stage very well. It's a good sampler of what you can expect. There's moments of subtlety. With, I would argue, with the uh, trumpet solo, there's a lot of dead space in that solo compared to the rest there. And uh, it's sort of accentuated with more purposeful bouts of quick jabs every once in a while. But it's 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 more reserved, uh, that solo. And that sort of, you know, adds a different flavor to the song than, and kind of signals that, hey, you're not just going to get, like, everything's crazy all the time. Like, there's going to be moments of quietness and concentrated purposeful playing but also we're gonna go crazy sometimes Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is why i'm thinking like you know after the crazy end solo with kamasi at uh change of the guard i i'm wondering what your thoughts are here i like isabel coming next which is what happens on the record set versus the digital release i don't know about ask him coming next i I don't know, because I, I would have to listen to them back to back to kind of get an understanding of the flow. But I will say this, that going from Change of the Guard straight into Askem, it's like you're going straight from the frying pan into the fire. <laughs> like, it, it definitely, um, it keeps up the momentum. Um, it definitely, um, you get another one of those moments where you get the, the crescendoing of the tenor sax at around like six at the six timestamp. Uh, again, just another just violent 
brash buildup um, of the saxophone. And then kind of like the bass little melody and chorus is revisited in the end. So like that, that's also why I really like it's like he's using kind of the bass concepts of jazz, but it just really doing it. It's the execution and production of this. I think that's really taking this to a whole nother level is that it's just a, it's that kind of that, the basing of like you have the melody and kind of the thing that you're working off of and then you kind of have these solos, but um, they really just, they take it, I think, to a whole nother level. And then uh, I, I just really love at least uh, ask him that the end, the chorus, the chorus. Ah! <laughs> yes, it's so good. And that's why I, I like this as the closer, because you get the choir at, in the first track, Change of the Guard. And you also get them returning in, oh, what, what is it? You get them returning in the next step, I think, mm-hmm. but they're not highlighted that much. They're kind of just there in the background a little bit. And so to have them return triumphantly at the very last song of the first disc, like they were present in the first disc or the first song on the first disc, if not more so, uh, oh, I love it. It ties it back together. Like, oh, okay, we started this disc bombastically. Mm-hmm. We're going to end bombastically the same way. And the choir actually, speak some words which i cannot make uh make out for the life of me it's probably some latin who i don't know <laughs> i don't know I, I i think i hear like i see a ship but i i i just probably making stuff up it, it, it I, as far as i can tell it's not any discernible language <laughs> but you know I, who knows mm-hmm. i i i might just be hard of hearing but. yeah it's like the the drums and the saxophone just like build off each other and then like you're saying the chorus just jumps in and like you're saying it's one of the, the few instances where we kind of have lyrics in, within this album i mean each at least for the um for the digital release each disc kind of has has one lyrical piece in it where at least with the digital release it's the rhythm changes disc two it's henrietta our hero and then on disc three it's cherokee and then i think Maybe one other, I think I remember off disc three, but it is kind of nice to get a a little bit of a taste of that within here, even though it is kind of the lyrics are, you can't really discern them. Yeah, that's one thing. So Rhythm Changes, the actual ending song, the official one, I'd say, because it's the ending song in the digital set, the CD set, I'd consider that the official release. That one is a full-blown lyrical piece. There's a lead singer, lyrics, the whole kit and caboodle. And that is just straight up not in the first disc for the vinyl set. And that's due to practical reasons. These songs are so big, they had to rearrange that. Like, it wasn't Kamazi going like, mm, I'm just going to change the order. Though some, some, <laughs> art- some artists do that because the vinyl release typically is, you know, after the digital release. So sometimes they go through and edit things. But in general, artists don't do that. So what's done here is done due to practical reasons. Ask him can't physically be the second song on the first side of the disc because then Isabel, Final Thought, The Next Step, and Rhythm Changes all can't fit on the second side. So you have to like move things around and some things just don't make the cut because there's literally not, not enough space on the plastic for the grooves. <laughs> so it's n- let me be perfectly clear. This isn't actually due to like intended artistic reasons, or at least from what I've gathered. It seems like it's due to just the practicalities of vinyl as a medium, but I like not having any actual lyrical pieces in the first disc. It's it's all focused on the instrumentation, and then you get some more exploration into, you know, expanding on that, building on that 
base with the singers, as you mentioned, with like the rhythm changes and others. I kind of liked, I like seeing that explore later in the later discs on the vinyl set versus the digital set where it's just kind of everywhere. That's just me. Clearly, I might, I'm, you know, alone on this because this is not how it was digitally arranged, but I kind of like the pacing of the vinyl set better because of that. I, I like that the whole first disc is all the band and then the singers and the quote unquote songy songs come out and the, you know, second and third discs. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I would be really curious to listen to the new order, but I know that I at least kind of like it. I mean, it's the only thing I know because I haven't listened to any other order, but I do kind of like having the rhythm changes as last because it is, it kind of subverts your expectations even more. Um, cause you start out and you're, it's all instrumental. Then it's like, and disc one, it's like, whoa, bam, <laughs> like <laughs> lyrical song. <laughs> Like, whoa, okay, was not expecting this. Ah, oh, but I kind of like that, though. I like the surprise. Yeah, I, I like the surprise, too, but I like, I think it works a little bit better, at least in my opinion, having them uh, sprinkled throughout, because you never know when they're going to come, because it's like the first one, and you're like, oh, okay, like, hey, they have one lyrical, then Henrietta, Henrietta, our hero, comes, and you're like, oh, shit, there's more! And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then Cherokee is like a nice kind of cool... Uh, like smooth uh, other lyrical piece uh, on disc three, and you're like, oh, we got another one too. It's kind of nice. Um, I think with Malcolm seem too, they also have um, um, some uh, sound bites in there as well. But um, I don't know. Me personally, I kind of like having it as a closer of the first disc. Um, because it it's it brings the first disc then to I think for the di- for the digital, it's around like sixty six minutes. I think for the first disc, and then it's long. <laughs> and then it's like in the 50s for disc two and three so it totally makes sense that they would do this for practical engineering region reasons for the vinyl is that you take you try to normalize them all to around the same thing you know at around maybe less than an hour to get it on print i, I would be curious listening to it yeah because it goes from isabel then I, I believe final thought is also a a, a little bit more of a, a slower one as well if i remember correctly yeah isabel definitely is a change of pace, particularly so for the digital release, because you've had two songs now that are more of a a sporadic, kind of heart-pounding instrumentation and solo style. Um, and then here comes Isabel, and you can almost kind of see the smoke pouring out of this, like, old creaky bar where the regulars are, and there's, like, this one lady there that elevates the whole place to a higher level, and it's just, it, the imagery with the song is just wonderful. Because it dips in and out of this kind of brooding, silky, succulent, smooth mm-hmm. part. And then it breaks free like a kind of like a breeze of crisp, cold night air. And it's kind of like you're free and you're outside. And then you got that silky smoothness then coming back. And it, it dips in and out of that throughout the entire song. And it's just a, a delightful thing to listen to. Oh, yeah, I agree. I think the key words I wrote here were groovy. Swain, but like I will say that this the song also like can 
I think if you listen to it the first time, it can make you maybe a bit anxious too, because it's like, all right, where, where where are they hiding? You like checking underneath the sofa, like, <laughs> where are you, Kamasi? Where are you? I know there's a choir here somewhere. Yeah, he's like in the drop ceiling with his tenor sax, like, where are you? You're like poking it with a broomstick, like, oh I know you're there. Like, <laughs> oh dear God. <laughs> um, but uh no i agree this is it's it's a nice one this was the one i wrote about like kind of the cowboy bebop-esque ending where i, I kind of picture that kind of showing up in my head at the end of the song um very much kind of like that um you get the nice smooth send-off at the end and it, it, it and then you hear yeah you get uh you get the keyboard and a kind of a trumpet or a trombone solo i forget which one it is i think the trombone's on this one there's yeah yeah no no it's uh ryan porter on the trombone this time yep mm-hmm. you're right yeah, and it just goes to sh- it goes to show that like each one of these songs kind of highlights a different person. Where changes the guard, you get a lot of piano and sax solos. Um, and ask them, you get more of a bass solo at the beginning. And then Isabel, you get the keyboard and kind of trombone. I mean, not just the keyboard. You got the organ. Brandon Coleman on the organ. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> it brings an entirely different texture to this song. And particularly on the digital release, you're three songs in, a whole different texture to the album as a whole. Because as far as I'm aware, the organ either wasn't on either of those songs or wasn't featured prominently. So to have him kind of be the star for a good chunk of Isabel. It feels almost entirely different, but you still have the underlying same band, so you feel like it still belongs, but it definitely feels like a, a breath of fresh air to the first disc. And this is where I'm glad the pacing didn't change, or the order didn't change for the vinyl release and the digital release, because uh, Final Thought follows next, and it leads again with that organ in Brandon... Mm, it's gorgeous. It t- transition us like, hey, remember Isabel? Isabel was nice, and here's something different. <laughs> it, it it really makes the whole thing feel more cohesive. And even though Isabel is kind of the odd one out in this set, particularly in the uh, vinyl release where the rhythm changes and the uh, lead singer isn't there, to have it kind of referenced in this way by the next song kind of helps remind us like, hey, this is all part of the same thing. We're all kind of all kind of cozy, happy together here. So it's, mm-hmm. it, I, I really appreciated that. And then like it picks up and you got that like, I feel like I'm robbing a old timey bank or something. feels so fun i I can't help but um imagine that like the title here is aptly named because uh final thought happens to be the last song on the first side of the vinyl release and i can't help but feel that kamasi's uh improv here feels very much like i I just got one more thing to say one more thing don't flip it over one more thing like (laughs) it feels very much like there's a, a, a antsiness to getting things out in this song that is uh really fun especially after uh, you kind of mentioned i don't want to say the sleeper but the more chill isabel to have more of like that okay okay we're back in it again with final thought is is really fun yeah at the end you kind of get those like it's like the short curt blasts of like the saxophone that gets in there and again you get this uh, you get kind of like um 
almost like a reverberation of the saxophone build up to like a recall of like kind of the strenuous kind of like saxophone style as well and and final thought as well it's just it, it it's just a good one it's just a good one yeah so the next song the next step is on the next side and uh it's at least on the vinyl release i'm gonna keep harping on this at least on the vinyl release um this <laughs> and rhythm changes are two monstrous songs that share or no this and uh Ask Him are the two massive songs that share the side of the record. It's a very strange sight to see, because typically when you're looking at a record, you see like, okay, here's like the gap in between the song, the gap between the song, the gap between the song, and you see like maybe four or five of those on a typical record. But you flip over, <laughs> you flip over disc one of the epic, and you see like a honk of grooves, another honk of grooves, and you're like, hmm, all right, two 14-minute songs, one right after another, okay, got this ahead of me. It takes up almost the entire second side, and and uh, it feels to me sonically like a continuation or evolution of the ideas first explored in Isabel, which I thought was pretty fun. It might even be in the same key. I'm not entirely sure, but it, it's it seems very similar to Isabel in, in a good way. It's kind of like a um, uh, echo of the past almost. Yeah, and this is the this is the longest one, at least for the the digital on the disc one. And I don't, maybe this is is this the longest one on the album? Oh, uh, let us check. Uh, yeah, it is fourteen minutes and forty nine seconds. Wow, that is a bear of a duration. <laughs> like um, there are some albums that half their duration doesn't even make. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's one song. Yes, and I, I guess the way I describe it is, like, at least the note I wrote down from listening to this one is that, like, it's kind of like one long cut or shot from a movie. Like, that's the kind of feeling you get with these songs. It's it's subtle, I guess, that you're in still one song, kind of like it is. Like, and it's only after a while that you notice, like, oh, yeah, this has been all one song, kind of like when you watch a movie and it's all one long cut. It's, like, kind of... If it's done well, you don't notice really until like you kind of say, look at your iTunes player or you kind of pick up a little detail here and there with the camera work. And you're like, holy crap, this this was one long take. It's it's kind of crazy. Like, I can't mm-hmm. imagine what it took to record this like in compile. Uh, it, t- it took a month of solid recording, evidently. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, it's just nice because, like, the next step kind of has, like, a more, like, slow and kind of wandering kind of areas. And it's just, it's just, it's nice. They have the time to do that. They're not rushed. Yeah, this is the one that I mentioned before about uh, Brandon's uh, organ solo, where the rest of the band just sort of stops for a little bit, and mm-hmm. it's him just kind of like beep, 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 buttering up the keyboard. A <laughs> so fun you don't get to get away with things like that in shorter songs uh but when you get to settle in really get cozy into a song both the listener and the artists are 
more keen on experimenting and doing different things. Like, oh, I guess we're just doing this now. Let's try that. And uh, let's do this again and mix, mix things up. Like, you, you can feel more free to play around and not feel like it's a incoherent mess. Because it's so long. Each movement feels like it's appropriately fresh, fleshed out before you move on to something else. So, mm-hmm. So I know that you don't have the rhythm changes on yours for your first disc. I do not, but I did listen to it prior to the, uh, the recording. I dig this song. <laughs> this, I, I just love the lyrics to this one for like, it's just like the little like kind of a verse or chorus that they have right here. I'm here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, not, well that, that's the closer. Um, but I actually kind of had misinterpretation of the lyrics that, like, it's kind of like one of those things where it, it, it makes kind of sense of uh, both ways. But, like, the chorus goes, daylight seems bright because of night. It's the shade we need so we can see. And I really like that. It's just a great, it's a great um, perspective on life. Like, you, if everything is, quote, unquote, great and dandy all the time, it will be kind of boring and you won't really have the you won't have perspective to really appreciate the times that are nice and good and um i kind of mis- misheard these as it's the change we need so we can see <laughs> like a little bit more literal there <laughs> but <laughs> i like this better now that i know it's shade <laughs> now that i know what it's actually saying <laughs> i know that you know there's a little bit of layering of artistic uh artisticness going on there or symbolism i should say but uh yeah i don't i really like this one it's a great one where you get back to the the chorus all chiming in at once it's just you just get a vocal power there because again holy shit 20 (laughs) members in the chorus like yeah it's a lot of people and i don't know what are are your thoughts on this one mark we get it lady you're here Uh, I, I, I do like this song. Um, it's not my favorite of the lead singer songs of the bunch, but I do like the message, as you said before. I, I've always been a fan of the, like, if everyone's super, no one is. Like, I, I, <laughs> like, I or like the uh, newer Star Wars movies, like, oh, we need the darkness and the light together, man. Like, I, I kind of like that. I, it's like, oh, you know, got the duality and things. Like, it's, it's fun. It's fun. I, I do think the way that message was delivered was fun i feel like it's lyrics that you don't immediately go like okay we get it like it as much as i was teasing it before like it gives you a little bit to chew on i think even though there's not much there so it's kind of like a kamasi solo style there where it's you know kind of making a lot out of very simple building blocks um uh and making it still seem interesting and the way that you accentuate different things. So um, I, I do like it, but again, not not my favorite one on the record, which I think is also why I prefer it being the opener to the second disc as opposed to the closer for the first disc. Because like, as the closer of the first disc, I'm like, ah, I could do without. But um, I, I think that's just because I like asking him too much. <laughs> I just love in this one how, for one, the verses at the very end of how, how it goes, our love, our beauty, our genius, that verse... Towards the end, they start building and throwing in more and more of the instruments to really drive home and accentuate each each one of those phrases, our love, our beauty, our genius. And like all the horns and saxophone at the end come in, it's just like 
<laughs> like it all just comes in and it's just i don't know it, 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 i just love how they integrate the vocals with the instruments in this it, it goes to show that that just because they don't have vocals on a lot of these doesn't mean that they don't know how to do it right mm-hmm. so yeah so I, i'm curious and uh i mean this is kind of getting ahead of ourselves so like of the lyric lyrical ones which one is uh your uh your pick i guess oh but that would be a spoiler <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we have not announced this yet, but this is going to be uh, the first in a three-part series. We can't cover a three-hour album with the way that we do podcasts in one episode. The thing will be six hours long. We can't do it. So I think the only way to truly do the epic justice and to not kill whatever listenership we have is to split this up into digestible separate chunks which I think is appropriate, given that I think the Epic personally is better digested for active listening when you separate it up into separate pieces, because Disc 1, Disc 2, and Disc 3 are so different from one another Mm -hmm. that um, each one brings its own flavor, its own style, and its own things to take away. So I I would say tune in next time to Disc 2, where we'll be talking about the next six songs on there, or however many are in the uh, vinyl release. I'm not entirely sure. Can't wait to see how that's mixed up. But yeah, no, I I think this this was good, and I'm looking forward to uh, touching base with uh, the second disc with you, Michael. It's, it's going to be a good time. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious. You, you, you used to be a trumpet player. If you stuck with it uh, fully and were given the chance, what kind of music would you want to play? Would you see yourself playing in this type of environment? I got a problem here, though, Michael. I'm bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, take strip that back. So let, let, let me explain. So this is like one of the few albums I listen to, and like that makes me kind of want to go go up on a stage and be like, yeah, let's fucking rock out, man. Even though I have no musical talent. No, I so <laughs> to answer to 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 actually answer your question, the hypothetical that maybe I practice trumpet every day and wasn't as bad as I am right now. I'm not. I don't have the innate ability that really makes you a star enough to be able to be like a performing musician and and that's fine like that doesn't you know that's just the way it is like that's that's all right but um no i would never in a million years want to play in an improv band like this not in a million <laughs> million years no man yeah. you kidding me so it's it's like stand up comedy but of music that's terrifying you need to be quick-witted sharp on your feet know your shit frontwards backwards and sideways in terms of like your instrument what makes good music how to compose good music there's so much that goes on into that and that is not the kind of person i am i'm the kind of person that can sit and stew on a product and like tinker with it and make it just so my little sand castle make it perfect put a little cherry on top and and it's complete haha yeah it's it's not a good fit (laughs) not a good fit at all (laughs) Yeah, I mean, honestly, the only reason I could do podcasts is because I can edit this thing to high <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we were to share the unedited versions, uh, the, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be too happy with that either. <laughs> Many ums and likes died to bring you this information. <laughs> um, like, so, um, like, I'm really looking, like, forward to disc two, like, man (laughs) (laughs) so um like see you guys next time (laughs) please like and subscribe (laughs) smash that like button (laughs) oh god we're we're devolving really really quick without amy (laughs) we're spiraling we're no
<laughs> All right. Um, before this gets any more out of control, we're, we're going to cut it off here. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. All the things we mentioned or referenced will be linked or noted in the show notes. Check it out in your podcast player of choice. And we'll see you guys next time for Kamazi Washington's The Epic Part 2. See ya. The guard, for hundreds of years, has stood watch over... uh, Okay, let me try that one more time. (laughs) We're off to a great start.